If you have a Bible there uh, with you this morning, whether it's whether you got a physical copy of a Bible or a uh, or a Bible app that you can take a look at, I encourage you to follow along with Scripture. And we're just going to be taking a look at two verses this morning, a very very short portion of Scripture. And what we're going to do is we're going to draw one topic out of this little section of Scripture, this little bitty bitty section uh, that, that, that that talks about Jesus and and and, and is going on as Jesus uh, as Jesus as, as the Gospel of Matthew describes some of Jesus's ministry and some of the Jesus's mission work. Anyway, we're going to Matthew chapter 9, the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, looking at verses 35 and 36. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. And it reads, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. As you know, if you attend here regularly, I like to repeat myself a lot of times to, to drive points home, or at least to at least to at least to get to grab your attention about something. So since these are such short verses, I'm going to repeat them again, and I'm going to repeat them real slow. Starting in 35, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And that's the word of God for the people of God. We have just wrapped up the uh, the week before, the Sunday before last Sunday was the day of Pentecost. And a lot of times in the church, if, you, uh, if, you're, if you're in a church that kind of follows what we call the liturgical calendar, um, after Pentecost we enter a season that is often referred to as ordinary time. And it's a long season in, during the church calendar. It's, uh, it's five, 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 six months. It's the, it's the time between Pentecost and bet between the day of Pentecost and the first day of Advent. And that's called ordinary time. There's no major Christian holidays during this time. What, what it used to be called, a lot of times in the Methodist church anyway, and, and, in, and in other denominations, churches, sometimes this time was referred to as kingdom tide. Kingdom tithe. And that's a word you don't hear very often anymore, uh, but it's still very applicable and it, and it applies very much to the things that we kind of try to focus on during these months, during these, these time, this time period between Pentecost and the beginning of Advent. Because this time really focuses on Jesus. Not that the other times don't, but this time really focuses on some very specifics. Primarily, this time focuses on the teachings of Jesus, but even more so, it focuses on the teachings of Jesus as they apply to the kingdom of God. It applies to Jesus' teachings on the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God looks like. So that's why it used to be referred to as kingdom tide a lot of times. You hear a lot of teachings, a lot of scripture readings, and a lot of preaching on the teachings of Jesus regarding the kingdom of God. 
and it's going to be very, very neat. It's going to be very, very interesting. It's going to be very, very cool for our Broxton folks uh, to study these things over the next several months, and we are going to be studying these things and taking a deeper look at some of these teachings over the next several months once we return, and of course, we're going to be continuing our online services as well. But it's going to be very, very interesting for Broxton because what Broxton has been doing since January is we have been focusing on being what is called, what, what we're referring to as a Romans 12 church. We are a Romans 12 church. And, and we've been talking about that, or had been talking about that, since January. And of course, we get, we get that idea from Paul's words in the letters to the Roman, in the letters to the Roman church. Romans 12. What does Romans 12 say? Does Roman, what would or what does a Romans 12 church, a Romans 12 body of believers, even the way Romans 12 individual Christian, what would that look like? What does that look like? I'm going to read you a couple verses out of Romans 12, just real, real quick, so we get for, for my Broxton folks, so we get kind of a refresher. And, and uh, for the folks who haven't heard this before, you've never been a part of our congregation, so you can get kind of an idea of what I'm talking about. If you do have a Bible, turn over to Romans 12, and I'm going to start in verse 9. I'm going to read a pretty large portion of this, um, but I'm going to get through it as quickly as possible. <laughs> Romans 12, Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low positions. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, what's that got to do with kingdom tide, Brother Jerry? Everything that I just mentioned out of, the, out of, out of this epistle, this letter written by the Apostle Paul, talks about themes taught by Jesus in regards to the kingdom of God. All of those verses, all of that scripture that I just read out of the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, apply to Jesus' own teachings in the gospel about the kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of God looks like, and how we, as followers of Jesus reflect that kingdom of God on earth through our thoughts, 
through our words, through our actions. We are a Romans 12 church, and we're going to continue that theme through the end of the year, Broxton, by looking into what Jesus says about the kingdom of God and how these words of Paul and the teachings of Jesus on the kingdom of God are so interrelated. We will focus on Jesus' teachings, on Kingdom Tide, and those Romans 12 themes, at least, at least through Advent anyway. So, with all that in mind, with all of that in mind, that we're remember, remembering the scriptures that we just read from Romans 12, remembering what, what, that we're talking about being in Romans 12 church, remembering that we are in the season of Kingdom Tide, where we are focusing on the teachings of Jesus, even more so on the teachings of Jesus regarding the kingdom of God, I want to pull out just a small, 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 a very minute portion of today's scriptures because I think, I think this is probably the best place that we can start today, today, as disciples of Jesus Christ for understanding what the kingdom of God is, what the kingdom of God looks like, and how we live out that in our daily lives. Because there's one term here. There is one term that stands out. And there is one term that really lies as the foundation of everything that we are as disciples of Jesus. And how we live this out. As followers. As people who are Christ's representatives. As people who are God's representatives of his kingdom on earth. And I want to pull out that word, compassion. Compassion. If you have forgotten it, let's take a look at it one more time. Because that word really pops out. And it's right there in verse 36. Matthew 9, verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion isn't one of those words that we hear tossed around a lot in Christian circles. We talk about love a lot. We talk about love a lot. But compassion is not generally a topic that, that, that gets, it does get talked about, but not a lot. You don't hear many teachings specifically on the Christian idea, the Christian principle of compassion. We talk about love. We've talked a lot about the idea of agape love, self-sacrificial, self, self, uh, selfless serving type of love, the kind of love that, that, that leads us to, to live sacrificial lives for others, type of love exemplified by Jesus and the cross. What, I, what I'm going to ask you, though, today is what is our motive behind that love? What is the deeper motive behind our love for God, for humanity, for brothers and sisters, for people? What's our motivator? What lies at the heart of our love for people? What's the driving force? I'm going to say, as Christians, it is compassion. Or it should be. I'm going to say for Jesus, 
It is compassion. For God, it is compassion. Our motive, our motivator to love and what love looks like and how that's played out and how that reflects best the kingdom of God. So let's kind of define that. Let's kind of define and get a get at least a, a base understanding of what compassion is. Remember, we gave we had some definitions that we went through last week. We talked about evangelism, and we talked about discipleship, and we talked about the uh, the Great Commission: go therefore into all the world, baptizing, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of Jesus Christ, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's what we call the Great Commission. It is our evangelistic and our, and our discipleship calling um, as the church, as the body of Christ. And we define what evangelism was and we define what discipleship was. Let's today define what compassion is, particularly from a Christian perspective. Compassion is more than feeling sorry for somebody. Compassion is more than just feeling pity on somebody. Compassion, real compassion, genuine, authentic compassion propels us to get involved. It goes beyond feeling sorry for somebody. It goes beyond even feeling empathy or sympathy for somebody. Compassion, true compassion propels us, motivates us to get in there with that person or that situation, to get dirty to get involved, to take some risk, to love that person through whatever situation it is that they are going through. It calls us, it calls us to join others in their suffering. It propels us to join others in their suffering and on their path to restoration. Even if the suffering is a result of their own sin. And let me expound on that just a little bit. I think it is very, very unfortunate when we get very judgmental because people get caught up in sin and we want to get hands off. We want to be hands off with these folks. Let me tell you, folks, if it wasn't for good-hearted, compassionate Christians, Christians who were propelled, who were motivated with compassion to reach their hand out to me it is very possible I never would have accepted the gospel many of us have stories like that many many of us have stories like that we don't get to pick and choose who we have compassion for we don't get to pick and choose who we love we don't get to pick and choose based on our feelings We love and we have compassion because Christ first loved us, because Christ first had compassion for us. Sometimes that comes easy. I would say particularly if it's a family member, compassion might come easy. A lot of times it doesn't come easy. A lot of times we don't like the way that people behave. We don't like the things that people do. And that doesn't mean that we're endorsing the things, the bad things that people do. Having compassion on somebody, reaching your hand out, helping somebody by nothing but sheer grace. 
does not mean that we are endorsing bad behavior. It means that we are reflecting Christ. It means that we are reflecting our Savior. It means that we are reflecting the same Jesus and the same God that gave us the same grace. And praise God that he did. One of my favorite authors, one of my favorite teachers uh, on the subject of compassion was a guy, a Catholic priest by the name of Henri Nouwen. He wrote a lot of books, wrote a lot of books. I can tell you all kinds of stuff about him. But I want to give you a quote that, uh, that from one of Henri's books. He wrote that compassion asks us to go where it hurts. It asks us to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those who are in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Let me reread this scripture, today's scripture to you, from the message translation of the Bible. Luke, or I'm sorry, Matthew 9, 35 and 36, in the message translation reads like this. It says, Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and the villages. He taught in their meeting places, he reported kingdom news, and he healed their diseased bodies. He healed their bruised and hurt lives. Listen. When he looked over the crowds, his heart broke. He had compassion on them. His heart broke. So confused and aimless the crowds were, like sheep with no shepherd. Another story that Jesus told that is probably, probably the best example, the best parable, the best story anyway regarding compassion is a story that many of us know. Many of us who've been to church any amount of time, we've heard it dozens if not hundreds of times. And that's the story of the prodigal son. And the story of the prodigal son has a lot of lessons. There's a lot of applications that we could really glean from this story. But I would argue that compassion is one of the most central of these ideas. Because, it is because what Jesus talks about in the story of the prodigal son is a compassion that shocks us. I'm not going to read the scriptures, but I will re relay kind of the story here. Give you the basic idea as a refresher. If it's new to you, here's, here's what I'm talking about. The story of the prodigal son tells the story of a young man who demands his inheritance at a young age while his father is still alive. 
young man also has that we know of at least one brother, and the father gives him his, gives him his, his inheritance. The father gives him gives him his inheritance. The young man takes off and uh, lives a very lavish lifestyle, a very selfish lifestyle, a very indulgent lifestyle, and runs out of money, runs out of resources, and uh, comes to the end of his rope. And he decides he's going to go crawling back to his father. Now, by all accounts, what this man did, what this young man did was wrong. Even in our 21st century eyes, through our 21st century ideals, certainly we don't ask our parents for our inheritance prior to their death. <laughs> we don't... Uh, we know it's wrong. We know it's wrong to leave our parents behind to go live these lavish, obviously sin sinful lifestyles. Uh, we know that this man did his father wrong. Even in the 21st century, we know that this man did his father wrong. Think even more so in a first century church or first century, uh, first century culture, Jewish culture. And multiply what we're thinking about this situation by about a hundred, probably, of how shameful this would be, how a horrible, horrible thing this would be for this young man to do what he has done. And here he comes, groveling, crawling back to dad. What would we do in that situation? What would we do in that situation? You can imagine as Jesus is teaching this telling this story to this crowd that at this point they're probably on the edge of their seats. This kid who took all this money, wasted it, lived a sinful lifestyle, now he's coming back to dad. They're waiting, just like many of us would be, to see him get what's coming to him. They're waiting for that father to lash out at this man. Here it comes. He's going to get his revenge. This kid's going to get what he deserves. But that's not what happens, is it? That's not what happens at all. The Gospel of Luke tells us this. While he was still far off, he being the young man who was coming back groveling, while he was still far off, his father saw him and he was filled with rage. No, that's not what the Bible says. He was filled with anger. He was filled with revenge. Nope, that's not what Jesus says. That's not what the gospel says. That's not what the scripture says, is it? What scripture says is this. While he was far off, while the young man came groveling back, still far off, his father saw him and he was filled with, with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. That's what compassion looks like. And that is the radical compassion of Jesus. That is the radical compassion of the kingdom of God. And that is the radical compassion that we are called to exhibit, that we are called to reflect in this world, 
that we are called to show as residents. Yes, folks, we are residents right now, here, today. We are residents of the kingdom of God. And this is what we show people. This is what we live. This is what we seek to be through God's grace, through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're called to be. That radical compassion that subverts our worldly ways and exposes the kingdom of God. Compassion goes beyond being nice. Christian love goes far beyond simple pleasantries and surface level niceness. It calls us to get dirty. It calls us to be uncomfortable. It calls us to be involved. It calls us to make sacrifices. It calls us to give again and again and again and again. Do people see compassion when they see Christians today? I'm speaking individually and I'm speaking as the body of Christ, as the church. Do people see compassion when they see me today? Do people think of compassion when they hear the term Christians or Christianity? Do we reflect compassion in our word? Do we reflect compassion in our hearts first and our minds because that's where it starts? But do we reflect compassion in our words and our actions? What about our opinions? Are we reflecting compassion in the stuff that we put out there into the world through our words, our actions, maybe even our online presence? Do we feel drawn to get involved with the needy and with the suffering? Or would we just kind of prefer to let somebody else take care of that for us? Do we enjoy our general, comfortable lifestyles more than we do the thought of giving sacrificially for the benefit of people created in the image of God? Why does it matter? Because it matters to Jesus. It matters to Jesus, and it is who we are. It is who we are as those who call him Lord. These are things we should ask ourselves. These are things we should meditate on. These are things that we should pray on. And these are things that we should seek God's guidance and the help and the assistance of the Holy Spirit to change us. None of us are perfect, but all of us know the ideal. There's no excuse. Jesus teaches us this. This is what God's kingdom looks like. And I want to conclude with some scripture from the book of Psalms. Psalm 139. 
And this is what I hope will be my prayer. This is what I hope will be your prayer as we study the kingdom of God, as we try to live into the kingdom of God, as we try to embrace this great compassion that lies at the heart of God's kingdom and at the heart of all that we are called to be. This should be our prayer. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Please pray with me. Merciful God, we thank you we thank you so much. We thank you so, so very much, God, for our blessings. We thank you, Lord, for our salvation. We thank you for our Savior and for our Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, for your kingdom. We thank you, God, for making us residents of your kingdom. And we pray, God, that you will open us, that you will open our minds, that you will open our hearts to receive your word, to receive your, your transformation, that you will plant seeds of compassion in our hearts, that we will be driven to love others with a deep and a convicting love that calls us to get involved with them, to be active, that propels us to action, to compassionate action. We thank you, God, for the teachings of your kingdom. God, we pray that you'll just give us the ability and the drive and the will and the desire to subvert the ways of the world and to expose the kingdom of God on earth. For your glory, for our good, we pray, dear God, create in us clean hearts and renew right spirits within us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always.